1988 college football season ended and Kansas State had completed its second straight winless year. There had been three different head coaches in the previous five seasons, and now there would be another new head coach. No one knew what to make of Bill Snyder when he was introduced. He had been Iowa's offensive coordinator for the previous decade, and the Hawkeyes had had great success. But Snyder hadn't been a college head coach. Kansas State lagged in revenue and facilities and had been called Futility U and America's Most Hapless Football Team by Sports Illustrated. Snyder agreed to be interviewed for that story on the promise that when things turned around, the magazine would return to chronicle that. Sports Illustrated returned. The construction of the Kansas State football program is one of the greatest accomplishments in college sports. From a regular at the bottom of the conference standing to very close to a shot at the national championship with conference and division titles, constant double-digit victory seasons, and All-America players along the way. Coach Snyder sat down with me, Blair Kirkhoff, for an extensive interview on the program. We talked about his motivation and formative years, early signs of progress, some of the program's great players and games, and other highlights in his 27 years as the head coach over two stints with the Wildcats. And we asked him what he thinks of the current regime. I really enjoyed catching up with the coach who came to the area the same year I did. And I tell people who take Kansas State football success for granted, you wouldn't believe what it was like before Snyder arrived. Okay, let's get started. My first question to Bill was about his upbringing in St. Joseph, Missouri, and his mother, Marionetta, who was the most influential force in his life. Anything that I have that might be considered positive comes from my mother. I can assure you that. She was... uh, Still, an amazing, amazing woman. You know, she was. My mother was four foot eight inches tall. She never weighed a hundred pounds in her life. Never weighed ninety pounds in her life. And yet, she's the strongest person I've ever met. And we lived most of my of the years that I can remember. I was I was born in St. Joe, and my mother and father moved to Chicago. My father was a salesman. Moved to Chicago, and then moved to Salina, Kansas. And then my mother and father divorced, and my mother took me back to St. Joe. And so I spent all my years that I can remember in uh, in St. Joe, and. My mother was a uh, started out as a saleswoman at a department store called Townsend Wyatt and Wall, which is the most infamous department store. You know, it's like a six-story building, and every floor is a different department. And she uh, became a, a buyer for uh, one of the women's departments there and would travel to New York all the time uh, to buy and uh, that was the only time in my mother's life that she was that she ever traveled she didn't have an automobile 
never drove a car in her life, didn't have a driver's license. Uh, we lived in a, a home. It, it, was, it was turned into an apartment building by the owner, but it was a, one of the largest homes in St. Joe, and it was six blocks from where she worked. So it was right in, almost, almost right in, it was right on the fringe of downtown St. Joe, Missouri. And the lady that owned it was, I remember her well, her name was Josephine Kellogg. And you've heard of Kellogg's cereals, et cetera. That's the Kellogg family. And she, her husband had passed, and, and they lived in this large, large home, and she opened it up and made apartments of it. So we lived in the second floor, and we lived in a one-room apartment. It wasn't one bedroom, it was one room, period. My bed was a Murphy bed that came out of the wall. My mother's. My mother slept in a cot that I would pull off of the landing every night and bring in and open up. And, and yet, it was, I, I thought I was the richest kid in the world, you know, and it was just because my mother, because of her presence, and as much as, as much as anything. And she, she worked 12 hours a day, six days a week, walked to work, walked back. Uh, just an amazing, amazing woman. Yeah. I don't know, I could go on forever. How about, um, when, when did sports enter your life? You know, it was, it was really always there. Uh, when I was just a young toot, there in, uh, in St. Joe, uh, we, uh, our, the street that we lived on, it was Fifth and Ruby Dew was the, was where we were, and the street was a brick street. And there were a lot of kids in the neighborhood, and we would go outside, and we just played sports all the time. And we'd play tackle football on the brick streets. Uh, we played baseball on the brick streets. Uh, we'd, we'd go to the elementary school, which was six blocks away, uh, to play basketball because they had better goals outside. But uh, we we played all the time. So sports was in my life, you know, from the very from the very get go, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, competitively uh, and organized uh, sports. I think baseball was, uh, was the first thing uh, that, well, no, I take that back. Competitive swimming was the first thing because uh, the YMCA was also six blocks from our home, our apartment, and my mother, knowing that she was gonna be working all the time, she didn't want me out doing things that I would have done had it not been for the way she guided me. But 
she took me down and enrolled me at the uh, <coughs> YMCA. And she made an arrangement with uh, one of the people down there that if I didn't arrive there at such and such a time, and if I left before such and such a time, they could call her direct. And she'd have me back in a heartbeat. <laughs> uh, I, didn't, I didn't buck my mother at all. So, uh, so I'd go to the YMCA every day and uh, swim, play basketball, uh, play ping pong, and a lot of different games you know, that they had. But they had a competitive swim team so I, I learned how to swim competitively, and then they, their competitive team traveled. And so at a young age, I was traveling throughout the state uh, to other, uh, swimming was a little different, a little more popular at the time. And uh, so I, you know, I enjoyed that. And uh, when I went to, uh, I, I, they had, the only competitive swimming I could do was they had a city swim meet every year, and uh, and I would always swim in that. Uh, and then the, I, I went to work then as a lifeguard at the country club, and the country club had a traveling swim team, so they let me swim on that. And then when I went to William Jewell College, uh, <coughs> I uh, was on their swim team. So swimming was a, was a big you know, factor in, uh, in my life. I enjoyed it a great deal. It was also the first sport you coached, wasn't it? It was the first, let me think back, uh, yes. And, well, and I was, I, was still, I was still in high school when, right. I, was, when I was coaching. I coached uh, the city team there, and then I coached the country club swim team. And that was fun. Right. I enjoyed that. Um, as a as a youth, were you, you were close to Kansas City, and, and I know the A's were in town then. But were you a did, were you a fan of any team, or, or did, did you consume sports that way through media, TV? Or? Uh, media. We did. Uh, my mother did finally get us a TV set. So, uh, and I think it was. I mean, it was just tiny. <laughs> Uh, but I, I certainly watched it all the time. But uh, uh, I don't know, just through the media, right. you know, somehow, and and not as much as today, you know, through the media. Uh, and I don't even remember. I I doubt we we took. The, I don't think we took the newspaper because of the cost. Right. So it was uh, radio. I think probably as much as uh, as much as anything. And, and interaction with other other people. Right. Okay. I think you um, heard the story about how you started at Missouri um, for in college and didn't work out, and um, and, and that's how you ended up uh, at, well community college I think next right and then William Jewell is that uh, the order. There is a, a community college in St. Joe, and. I went to the University of Missouri and I was there for one semester. And I finished the semester and came back and did the second semester <coughs> at uh, the community college in St. Joe. <coughs> and then uh, uh, 
sat out and worked during the summer and then went to William Jewell the next uh, And this is because you were a pretty good high school football player. Well, I, I, I was good enough that uh, the, the coach from William Jewell was named Norris Patterson. Amazing man, amazing person. Uh, actually came to see me and uh, invited me to come to William Jewell. They didn't have scholarships. So you had to pay your way, and I told him, you know, I, I couldn't afford, afford it, and I certainly wasn't going to have my mother, you know, going to death doing that. Uh, so he said, we'll work out a job for you, or several jobs, and you can earn your way. And he did that. So I worked the whole time I was there. Worked at... Uh, then during the summers, I would come home and work at Noma Lights. Christmas lights. Christmas lights, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what did you box them up? What was the... Uh... Uh, boxed them and transported them. It was interesting, uh, now that I think back. That building was, anyway, it was close to my house, I think, two, three blocks away from our apartment. Mm -hmm. And from the top floor to the bottom, it had the slide that circles like that and they would everything that they manufactured they put on that they box it and put it on that and slide it down you know for delivery and that was such a neat idea that I used to go up and, and slide down with them <laughs> uh, and fortunately never got caught had I probably would have been without a job uh, um, so at, at what point after your, uh, as your college football playing uh, continued, at what point did you think about maybe becoming a coach? Well, you know, I don't, I can't tell you when it was before I, before I went to college. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just, because sports was just ingrained in my life. I labored under the assumption that that's what I would do. And so I can't remember that I ever thought that I would do anything differently, that I would be anything other than some type of a coach. It's, at some point, uh, the, uh, the, the, the coaching travels took you to California and uh, high schools in, in California. Can you trace that progress? Uh, I, while I was at William Jewell, and as I indicated, my coach there and, and my, uh, my guiding light, mm -hmm. Norris Patterson, uh, knew that, that I wanted to coach. And he had kind of guided me in that direction, but I didn't really need guidance because I just thought that's what I was supposed to do. Uh, so when it came time to graduate, I really didn't have, uh, I didn't have any place to go. So through his guidance, as he did with all the students, he was also the uh, head of the physical education department. And he, uh, he somehow arranged for me to get a position at Gallatin and after I had been at Gallatin one year, uh, I 
had visited with him and told him I would you know, like to move, move up. And uh, he knew a fellow at, no, I, I know what it was. I wanted to go on and get my master's degree. Mm. And I wanted to, but I wanted to coach at the same time, so I didn't know how to go about doing that. And he contacted a fellow that he knew at Eastern New Mexico University. And they arranged for me to come down, be, wasn't called that at the time, but basically a graduate assistant. And uh, so I could do that and do my master's degree. So I got my master's degree in a year. And then it was time to uh, move on. And I just applied every place you could apply. And uh, I got a response from uh, Indio, California. And I had no clue uh, about Indio. Uh, so uh, I accepted the job sight unseen and uh, got in my car and drove to California and looked around to find an apartment and the whole bit. So, uh, Anyway, I took the job there uh, as an, I was the assistant football, basketball, track coach, and the head swimming coach. So it was, uh, I mean, and that's just the way you did things. And it, and it was, uh, I enjoyed it. And it was, uh, and a lot of, a lot of wonderful people uh, out there. And I was there for, I think I was there for three years. I was there for two or three years, and then I visited. I wanted. Uh, I wanted to get into college. So I in USC was uh, John McKay was. Yeah. I idolized him, and so I tried my darndest to see if I couldn't get into USC. Uh, to do my master's work, or to start, excuse me, not my master's, to start my doctorate. And uh, in doing so, if I could volunteer to assist on the football team. And Craig Furtick, that they directed me to Craig Furtick, he had been a, a All-American yes, quarterback remember there. The, remember the name. Yeah. And he was on the staff. As the he in fact he was a freshman coach that's when they had you know, freshman football and so I got connected with him and he let me be an assistant to him so uh, I I didn't do a whole lot just kind of watched you know as much as uh, much as anything uh, but it was uh, it was a great experience for me and I got to be on the field I got to I and I idolized John McKay. And I, one of the all-time greats. Coach McKay had this funny way of walking and moving around the field, and I used to follow him around and emulate him. <laughs> <laughs> he always had one hand in his pocket, and I'd walk around with my hand in my pocket. I'm sure I looked as goofy as one could, but uh, I was uh, yeah there for a year 
and I hadn't finished my doctorate yet, and I had intended to stay there, but Indio High School called me, and the coach there retired, and they asked me if I would come back and become the head football coach, and so that sounded good, so I, I did that. Okay. Um, and there were some, uh, I know at least one other high school stop for you in California. It was Foothill High Foothill, School. right? Um, but I, I guess I want to pick it up in college and joining the North Texas staff with, uh, with Coach Fry. And um, a big moment, I guess transitional moment uh, for, for you and, and uh, that, that the first time as a full-time college coach. Right. How did that come about? And uh, I contacted him out of the blue. He didn't know me, and I didn't know him, and he didn't know anything about me. Uh, but he invited me to come down and visit. And so I, I went to Denton and uh, spent some time with him and some others. Uh, uh, Bill Brazier was a uh, football coach there at the time, and. I was a defensive coordinator and became a good friend. Uh, but nevertheless, they, uh, Hayden hired me, and uh, so I stayed with him, and then he went to Iowa, and I followed suit. Mm -hmm. um, and it turned to be a, it turned out to be a turnaround job for, at North Texas. They mm -hmm. had been down. Well, they're in, actually in Iowa, too. Yeah, yeah, both, both places. Um, Hayden, I mean, that was Hayden's thing. I was going to ask you about the, 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 his ability to do this. Yeah, he was, you know, he was, uh, he was an amazingly personable individual. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, everywhere he went, people loved him. He was a good speaker. And so he came across extremely well. Uh, players, he just endeared himself to, to players, and players loved him. You know immensely, so uh, and he was he was good about uh, uh, you know letting coaches coach. You know he wasn't uh, you know at, at first I thought he was somebody that was just going to do it all, right? You know, and you just kind of stood with your thumb in your ear, but uh, it kind of. It just it, it backed away from that very quickly, and uh, he, he let you let you coach. So things are going pretty good for you at Iowa and the family. And um, uh, I think I have read that you could have envisioned yourself staying at Iowa for for even longer and continuing right. in the role that you were in at the time. And um, and it didn't happen that way. Um, yes. So I, I guess I had forgotten that Iowa and Kansas State had played games against each other in mm -hmm. maybe 88, 89, or 78, something like that. There was a home and away, home yeah. and home series. Right. And that was really your only impression of Kansas State. Uh, true. Uh, and I, I really didn't know anything about Kansas State. And, and I had no intention of leaving Iowa. I wasn't looking for a job. I didn't have a resume. I, you know, nothing. I mean, I was I was there for for the rest of my coaching time. And one day, Sunday afternoon, out of the season, 
and somebody knocks on my door and I answer it and there's a gentleman standing there and I have no idea who it is. And it's Steve Miller. And he introduced himself and he had a fellow with him and I invited him in <coughs> and we sat and talked and sat and talked and I've shared with Steve I've you know how much I've really appreciated it. Nobody had been, you know, had gone to that much trouble for me, and uh, I said, but I, you know, I just can't, you know, I can't leave, I'm not going to leave here, and finally, after he'd been there for about two hours, he said, Coach, do you have a, an extra bedroom upstairs? I said, when do you ask? And he said, and these were his words, he said, I'm not leaving here until you at least commit to coming and looking at Kansas State. And I thought, you know, for somebody to go to this amount of trouble that he's going to, I can at least tell him, which I did. I said, Steve, I'm I'm not going to come coach at Kansas State, but give you some peace of mind so you can go home. Uh, I will come down and visit, but I want to assure you that I'm not going to take the job. And <clears throat> so I did, and a couple of, uh, or I don't know how long after week or so. But I went down and uh, the first place I went was over here. They had the place called the, the room called the Legends Room. Right, right. And so he took me over there and you know there's 200 people in there. I don't know what number it is, but it was full. And I said, what's the occasion? <laughs> I found out very quickly. Uh, and so, you know, he introduced me to people, introduced me to people, and everybody had their, you know, reason why Kansas State was the right, uh, right person, the right place. And, uh, and he introduced me to the president and he had the reasons uh, why and then uh, during all that time I, I pulled I think it might have been Steve aside and I asked if he could get someone who could uh, take me around the campus because I had never seen the campus hadn't been on it, never seen it and he uh, got a young lady, and uh, she and I <clears throat> got in the car and drove around campus. And while we were, when we got on the campus, I got in the middle of it up by Anderson. I said, would you let me out here? And 
come back and get me in a half hour. I think it was half hour. And she said, well, you know, I'm supposed to stay with you. What, what do you want to do? And I said, I just want to see the campus and I don't want to visit with people. And so I got out and just strolled around and stopped everybody that was on campus that, that I was next to around. And after a half hour, the young lady came back and I was late and it was probably an hour later. And uh, so we got in the car and it came back and I, they were still having this deal over here. And they, uh, John, we both told him I'd be back. And so I went up to see John or Steve, one of the two, and said, uh, told him I'd been on the campus. And I talked. There was more work here to be done than maybe you anticipated. Well, uh, Steve, and he said, what caused you to change your mind? And I said, simply, the people. And I just appreciated so much how gracious, how cordial every, everyone was. You know, it was just like it was a, uh, a group of people coming out of the same system, which really it was. And uh, so uh, I left at that and went back home. Some thought to it, but I'll do this. You know, Steve is a Steve Miller. I'm talking about. He's quite a fellow. Steve didn't show me everything, <laughs> and certainly didn't tell me everything. I didn't even see the locker room while I was uh, here to visit. Uh, you know, you think that at least show you where you were going to be, you know, or or an office space, or any of that. I didn't. I, he never. We never walked across field. <laughs> uh, but you know, when I got here and I and I saw all those things, uh, you know, it was interesting because everything needed everything needed to be redone, and and I didn't want to be one of those guys that just came in and spent money. Uh, so anyway, I asked Steve to come over and visit and told him, you know, what needed to be done. That's what we, you know, I'd like to tell you we can, but we can't. You know, we just don't have the money. And I remember distinctly telling him, I said, Steve, I'll pay for it. And we we had already gotten a, or I had a, a, a guesstimate about what the costs would be. And I didn't have that money. I didn't have that kind of money at all. But I said, I'll pay for it. And that embarrassed Steve. And rightfully so. And Steve said, okay, we'll get it done. You're not paying for it. We'll find a way to get it done. And <clears throat> I, uh, he, had, he contacted Jack Veneer. And Jack came to see me. And again, such an amazing man. And Jack said, what do you need? 
picked up the tab. And that's, and he became probably as good a friend as I've ever had uh, in his family, you know, I mean, just because, and he was such a down-to-earth, you, you remember Jack, I mean, he was down-to-earth guy, I never saw him in anything other than a pair of jeans and a uh, plaid yeah. uh, shirt. <laughs> And it just, he was, he was by idol, you know, that he could have all he had and just be himself. Uh, and uh, yeah, quite a guy. So, so those types of things start to get taken care of. Um, the, the sort of the, the foundation, you know, the foundational elements of the program. But um, I think the other, the, the people, the players who were here, had been beaten down. Yeah. They'd been beaten on the field and then beaten down uh, as, mm -hmm. as athletes. And it just kind of breaks my heart to hear what what that was like when, when you know when you had met with them and, um, and what they had gone through for too long here. Yeah, I, I just remember that very and that's probably what you're mostly alluding to. The very first meeting that I had with players over here. Uh, to introduce myself, and I, I ask each one if they would speak to what their experience had been, because I didn't really know, and it just knocked a hole in me, you know, to hear what they had gone through in the difficult times and and my admiration for the fact that they were still there was uh, was absolutely amazing. And not that it was any one person, not the previous coaches or anybody's fault. It was just it was the way it was. And uh, and there was there was not there was not a player in that room. First meeting we had. There were 45 remaining players on scholarship. Not a player in that room had ever participated in a victory at Kansas State University. Not one. I knew that streak had gone on for quite a while, a couple of ties, but no victories. Right. Right. Um, so I wasn't here when the streak ended. Like I said, I was here for Northern Iowa, but I wasn't here for North Texas. Mm -hmm. But I remember watching the highlights and just feeling good for everybody associated with the program. Um, uh, so that first season is one in ten, and. There must have been some indications to you that even with a one in ten record progress, you could see the progress. Well, I mean that's true, and that's exactly what I told our our players. You know, I, uh, at the conclusion of the season, you know, I said, and and not as just at the conclusion, but throughout the course of the season, I shared with them, you know, each. Each week, we were a better football team. 
they got better every week of the season. <clears throat> and I pointed that out to them, you know, that I wasn't disappointed. You know, I wanted to win just as badly as they did, but I was so pleased that they were making the kind of progress because that's that's all I ever said to them. The, the, you probably heard this story. The very first time that I met with him, I brought him out here on the field, and I had him had the scoreboard turned on, and I gathered them all at the 50-yard line, and I pointed at the scoreboard, and I said, "I will never judge you based on what that scoreboard says, mm. but I will based on." you doing the things the right way, that you be good people, that you work as diligently and as hard as you can, maybe not in those same words, but <clears throat> that, was, that was the essence of it. And I, and I meant that. I, I never, I don't, <clears throat> I, I never brought up a, a loss in that first year, never referred to score. You know, in that first year, you know, it was just about them becoming better. The, um, the the progress begins to happen, and, and the the victory totals reflected. Um, and as this is happening. Um, word is getting out that your office light is still burning at midnight on some days, and uh, and you're in there, at, you know, before dawn in the morning, and um, and it is a um, a work schedule, the likes of what we used to hear about Dick Vermeil, and he would sleep in a cot in, in his mm -hmm. coach's office. I don't know if you ever slept. In your office, at a couch. <laughs> but um, uh, I, I had never heard a, a, a coach with the who was keeping the kind of hours that you had, that you were keeping. Well, you know, it, it wasn't to do anything other than do what was necessary to get it all done. I mean, it was, uh, you know, when you're. You know, in that situation, uh, there isn't enough time. I mean, there truly is not. And, uh, you know, there is always something more to do if that daily improvement and build the program the way you want it to be and to uh, motivate the young people to become what you hope them to become it's uh, it's ongoing and uh, your diet uh, became <laughs> became a story too uh, uh, that's uh, did that start when you came to Kansas State or had you no I, I have always been there my diet is not not good at all I understand that but uh, I was never a breakfast eater I would always, even when I was growing up with my mom, 
she wanted me to eat breakfast, but I loved sleeping. And so I, because I never got any, so I, I would sleep as late as I could and get up and hop out the door and I was gone. So I, I just learned never to eat breakfast. And when I was at school, uh, I didn't, I didn't want to spend my mother's money. And so I didn't, she would give me, uh, I know at one time I can recall, it must have been, lunch must have been a quarter, because that's what she gave me. And I saved up all those quarters that she would give me. And I would slip them back into her purse. <laughs> Never telling her and just, but, so I didn't, I didn't eat breakfast and I didn't eat lunch. And then when I was coaching uh, and, and not at home, uh, <clears throat> the, you know, I, I stayed in the office. And to me, I, I had learned through staying in the office during the lunch, everybody else was gone, I could get so much work. Nobody bothered me to get so much work done. And it worked so well for lunch, I did it during the dinner time, and it worked so well there that uh, I, I really took advantage of the time. And so, uh, you know, and I knew I had to eat something, so I would eat when I'd get home at night. So we're talking about midnight, your one meal of the day. And it became such a habit that I just always did it. You know, I'd eat the, do the last thing I'd do before I go to bed, and that's the worst thing in the world for you to do from a health standpoint. Uh, but um, yeah, that was, uh, that was the nature of it. <laughs> well, it all worked. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, we'll fast forward to the bowl game. Uh, I, I wasn't there, uh, but anybody who was, it was a, such a memorable occasion. And the the outcome, of course, was fantastic. But the 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 number of Kansas State fans who traveled to Tucson for for that bowl game, um, no, nobody knew what would happen because it hadn't been to a bowl game since what eighty two or something or eighty one, whatever it was. And um, and then to have well, at least half the stadium, and and uh, that that had to be as memorable as the game itself. Well, you know, it was. I probably the one thing that sticks in my mind more than anything is the night before the game we had a in-house pep rally, and it was at the hotel where the team was staying, and I had arranged, you know, for the fans to come so our players could see the support that they had. And I didn't realize it was what it was. I mean, there were uh, the, the hotel people told me that they had to keep some people outside because of the fire laws. And the room we were in, they could only allow 5,000. And it was full, and there were a ton of people out outside, and that was just 
that was amazing, you know, to me. I, if I recall correctly, I put me in tears. I mean, it was, um, yeah, just and and it was amazing to you know our players as well. You had terrific players um, in your first decade or so, a little bit less than a decade, including Sean. Um, I'm, I'm talk about Sean in a minute, but 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 you get a quarterback in Michael Bishop who's a bit of a uh, transcendent player. Well, we were fortunate to, to get Michael, and, and Michael came to Kansas State because he was committed to being quarterback. And he had, and, and Michael, you know, when you know Michael personally, I mean, he is, uh, uh, he's, he's very proud of himself. <laughs> and uh, no one recruited him as a quarterback and he wouldn't have anything to do with and we were the only school, I was the only coach that recruited him as a quarterback. And that made him leery because nobody else would, you know, and I promised him that, and that was my intent. My, and so many, even people on our staff said, you know, he's a great athlete, he can step in and play probably any place right now. Put in there. And I said, that's the kind of quarterback I want to build this program on. You know, that's, that's what we want. That, that's our quarterback, and uh, so and 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 again, I don't think until it really happened that he that he really totally trusted that that I was telling him the truth. I've never seen a person throw a football as far as Paul Michael Bishop, but I, I think one of the first things I did was bring him out here and have him. Uh, he throw it from goal line to goal line. It's not human. <laughs> I, I know it is. It's just amazing. <laughs> um, let's, let's talk about a couple more guys. Um, Darren Sproles. Uh, I can remember in Johnson County how um, he had a kind of a legend growing there. This this person that nobody could even see on the football field yeah. until the you know until he scored from eighty yards yeah. um, was uh, another. Uh, you know, just transitional player for yeah. you, you guys. Well, you know, uh, first and foremost, he's a, he's a great, great person. Great family. Yeah. Um, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, and you know, losing it was a pretty sad, sad day for everyone, certainly for him. But uh, you know, he. Well, he wasn't a guy that tried to show himself off. You know, he was very low-key, very humble, uh, and and I can remember saying, so, you know, it, it was me. There's another guy that's not recruited. I mean, nobody wants to recruit him because he's, you know, just tall. And when, and I was excited that nobody else wanted to recruit him. And, you know, people ask so many times, you know, why, why did you recruit him? And uh, he's such a tremendous player, tremendous talent. They said, but he's, you know, he's so small and, 
how is he going to hold up? And, and I said, That's, that was probably the major factor in my decision to have him was his height. You know, I, I, if he had been, you know, if he had been six foot, I think he'd been an average player. He was, his height was such a great advantage for him. I used to get on the other side, and that's where I realized that I would, because he, you know, in practice, he's just break the line of scrimmage and he's gone. And I'd get on the other side and, and watch. Behind and the defense. You can't, yeah, behind the defense. And, and I realized immediately, the first day was there, you can't see him. And by the time you do recognize him, it's too late. And you can't get to him. That he had that built-in advantage. I mean, he was a skilled athlete, don't get me wrong, but that his height was such a tremendous advantage for him. Worked in the NFL, too. Yeah. Got almost 20,000 yards in exactly. the NFL. Right. So. And, and that's, you know, you're talking about big athletic guys, but you know, you're looking here and all of a sudden he's here. You know, you, you didn't see him slip through. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll try, we're doing all we can to get him in the Hall of Fame, the NFL yeah. Pro Football Hall of Fame. Yeah. Um, uh, okay, uh, great teams, great seasons, great games. Um, the, um, let's, let's, can we speak to the importance of the 2003 Big 12 Championship game? I, I know there were some, uh, it, it was, it was such a great game and occasion for Kansas State, and I know there were some behind-the-scenes things that were, you know, that um, uh, that that affected you emotionally for, for that game, uh, reading in, in, in the book. But um, but I think Kansas State fans would call that maybe the, the their favorite Kansas State victory that that win over Oklahoma. Uh, yeah, many of them, many of them do. It was. Uh and I've said so many times, I don't know that that Kansas State ever played a better game. I mean, there wasn't really that big a difference between Kansas State. Oklahoma was probably the better team and, and Kansas State maybe, you know, a step underneath that. But our players were so motivated you know, for that ball game, uh, it was uh, probably as highly motivated, and, and our players were pretty good about being able to get themselves motivated at the right time to play. And uh, I, I don't know that there was ever, you know, a time that they were as motivated as they were for that that ball game. And um, and confident. The confidence was there from the moment they stepped on the field. I think they were a big underdog in that game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, very much so. Uh, and um, after losing in in '98 and 2000 in the in the title games, it, you know, it it was a trophy. Yeah. It's a, a trophy occasion, yeah. you know, for, for Kansas State. And um, did you did you personally feel you know just were you able to put previous Big 12 title game losses aside by winning that, or do, do those never go? No, away? I don't think I ever 
lost sight of that. Yeah, that was uh, that was very difficult. Yeah. 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 So the 2003 championship game happens. Now we're coming to the end of your first uh, tenure here. Can you just just share a couple thoughts on what made you think that was the time to to step away. Oh five. Well, you know, I was getting up in years and. Uh, I wanted, I wanted to leave the program in, in good hands, uh, and I wanted to leave a solid program in good hands. I just wanted to make sure that, uh, you know, somebody wasn't going to have to start over again, that, uh, you know, they could step in and pick up where things were. Uh, and, you know, I've, I don't know, I, I won't say I neglected, but I really wasn't with my family nearly as much as I should be, and, you know, children were growing up, and uh, my wife was having to do everything, and so I, you know, that was, that was a big part of it. And then, um, and then the call to return, um, you were you were ready to get back, and they were ready to have you back. Well, it was, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a hard decision. It wasn't, you know, as easy as it may have seemed. I, you know, I, I had missed it, and it was hard when I first stepped down. But after I had been away from it for a while, it was, you know, I was fine. And so when the call came to see if I would come back, it, you know, it was hard. I said no first. Right. Uh, and, you know, the, there was a persistence. And, you know, eventually I said, well, the need, I understood the need. I didn't want to see the program take any more hits. So I, you know, consented to do it and said I would be short term, you know, which turned out not to be not to be true. So, but uh, anyway, and I never never regretted, you know, doing it. Um, if I'm doing the math right. 9, 10, 11, 12, uh, Big 12 championship in the fourth year back, 2012. Um, I was here the night that you beat Texas, and that was quite a scene on the field after the game. And, uh, uh, and, and um, uh, Colin Fine becomes a pretty pivotal figure for mm -hmm. the, the program uh, in, in the second part. What, what made Colin such a special guy? Uh, I think it, uh, his parents had a lot to do with it, I guarantee you that, they're really wonderful people. Uh, and they, they developed him, aside from athletics, I mean, they developed him as, a, as a, an amazing person. Uh, he was a hard worker, he was a tremendous leader, uh, he embraced people, people reacted to him, responded to him in such a meaningful way. Uh, 
and he still is, you know, uh, the same. Uh, you know, uh, and, and those were the things that made him, you know, what he was and is, you know, today. I, you know, uh, you know, the other stuff, you know, it, it, it wasn't a, Michael Bishop or an L. Roberson or somebody that had all those gifts, uh, but he he played to his potential more greatly than any person I've ever known. It's a tough nut, too. Yes, and that was that was something you know when you when you met Colin and around Colin. Uh, the last thing that would come into your mind would be that physical toughness. But, you know, he, he got beat up and got right back up and never, never complained about it, never said anything about it. But he was just, it was coaches for him. Um, before I forget, uh, I want to go back to Sean and how important he has been to the whole thing. Um, I mean, to, to, to come here and, and really be your first All-America player and to have the roles that he's held here. He was, I can remember one time talking to him at a Big 12 Media Days in Dallas that telling me all the hats he was wearing at the time. And my gosh, um, uh, he is... I think about a lot of your family when I see the name of the stadium, but I really think about him too. Yeah. Um, he's he's been pretty pivotal for for the whole thing. Well, uh, you know, I've said so many times. You know, Sean did more for this program than anybody, including myself. Uh, and you talk about wearing a lot of hats, uh, and and in the long run, you know, and I was kind of selfish, I mean, he was so good at what he was doing that I'd tack on more and tack on more and more and yet he just, he did it all so well and and did it with such great loyalty uh, and and everybody recognized it, I mean, and they and they appreciated it a great deal players appreciated it and, and he's you know, from a coaching standpoint, I mean, when you've got a, a coach that can go out and do it, then that makes a little bit of difference too. And uh, he got kick all of our punters, and uh, but but all the specialists really, you know, admired him, you know, so much, and consequently respired and uh, responded to him, you know, so well. And it allowed me to understand, after I had seen him on the field in that role, it allowed me to understand how good we really could be on special teams and, and the impact that could have on <clears throat> winning and losing in our program. I mean, you know, like all coaches, you know, we all say, you know, special teams is one third of the game right. as important as anything. And probably because of Sean, I believe that. Well, I think most people say it and don't believe it. 
and and I believed it, and uh, and it, and it was every bit of of that. How much joy did you take in Kansas State's championship last year? And and I'm sure you'll agree the program seems to be in pretty good hands right now. I I think it is, and uh, you know. I think an, an excellent staff, uh, and I think they have, uh, you know, the last group that we had is the, the few leftovers are will be through this year. But I think they've done an excellent job of bringing in quality quality players as well. So it's it's rewarding to see all that take place. Can you tell us um, uh, how do you what's your relationship now with with the program? And well, I have really I have stayed away intentionally because I didn't you know, I didn't want to put somebody in there. That's that's hard. I mean. You would say, okay, you know, you're following a, a program that has been in awfully good shape, and I didn't think that was fair, you know, to anybody, and I didn't want to be, you know, in a position where everybody wants to, you know, how about you help them here, or can you comment on this, or tell us what we think here. That I just didn't want to be in that in that position because I again I didn't think it was you know fair to them, and I I thought they'd do well. I just wanted wanted them to have a chance. To do it without somebody looking over their shoulder, or them feeling like somebody was looking over their shoulder. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Bill Snyder. I want to thank him for taking the time and sharing the story of his incredible career with us. I also want to thank producer Randy Mason for putting together the show, and to our Sportsbeat KC podcast staff of Todd Feedback, Jeff Rosen, and Scott Chasen. Hey, please take advantage of our star products like Morning Sports Edition. It's the nation's top digital sports page and can be found at liveedition.kansascity.com. Also, our regular Sports KC show is available wherever you download your podcasts. Thanks for listening. <laughs>